Well, and good morning, church family. So good to see all of you here. Uh, my name's Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church. If I have not had a chance to meet you previously, I'd love an opportunity to do so. And um, I'll be down uh, at the front um, with our elders and a few ladies from our ladies team at the end of our service. And so just make an appointment right now, if you would, to come and uh, say hello. We'd love to greet you. Um, I have the joy to introduce to you uh, my friend, my brother, Pastor Ronald Kogo uh, from Nakuru, Kenya. That is in East Africa. And Pastor Ronald is a church planter. He planted Crosspoint Bible. Fellowship in Nakuru five years ago. Um, he is a part of our Acts 29 church planting network, and sometimes we don't talk about this every week necessarily, but if you've ever thought, why are we a part of this church planting network? What is the significance of that? It is relationships like this that we have with a brother in another part of the world who is faithfully preaching the gospel um, and proclaiming Christ um, in the same way that we are here. Um, through our study in the book of Acts, if you're been with us for some season. We've been working our way in a study in the book of Acts over the last number of months, and we've talked about often how the same Holy Spirit that was at work in that story, redeeming and building up the church and strengthening the church and transforming lives, is at work today um, through our church planting efforts and through our global partnerships like the one that we have with Pastor Ronald and Crosspoint. We get to see that in real life. I was reminded as I looked at Acts chapter 13, we studied that just a few weeks ago, and as the church in Antioch was worshiping together, the Holy Spirit set upon them and said, hey, set apart for me Saul and Barnabas. I have a job for them to do. I want to send them out from you to go do, and do some work. And I've got to imagine similarly, um, as the church in Nakuru was worshiping together and Pastor Ronald was making some plans, the Holy Spirit, they prayed over him. They said, hey, you're going to go to America and you're going to talk about, you're going to preach, preach the gospel first of all, but then also just to share with brothers brothers and sisters around the world, what God is doing here. And all of that, I hope, it encourages me to know that God is at work building his kingdom, and it's not just here. Um, our mission statement at City Church is we're a community of people growing in submission to the lordship of Jesus Christ for the glory of God, the good of the city, and the hope of the world. The world is at stake. The world is what God is working on. And we have a local expression right here, but he's also moving all over the world. And it's good for our hearts to be reminded of that. The other thing that we have here, one of our values is that it's not about me. And you're going to see that lived out. It's not about me, me personally. Ryan, one of the preachers that you often hear from as you get to hear from another brother uh, from another part of the world, faithfully preach the gospel from God's word. And again, I hope it encourages you all. It's been a blessing for me to have him here and uh, even further work that we get to do together in the future. And so uh, let us welcome Pastor Ronald Kogo from Cross Point Jumbo. And welcome. Thank you, brother. Good morning. Or is it afternoon already? Not yet? Um, probably I'm thinking about home. <laughs> I hope you are good and uh, the Lord has made this a great day for us to meet and share in his word. Uh, but above all things, that we may be reminded that we are on a journey, journeying out of this world going to our celestial city to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. And hence, we are living as sojourners. We are not living as those who are going to stay here forever. And that is our hope. That's our joy as Christians. And that's what we live for. Blessed to be here this morning, get to know you, as you also get to know me, and the opportunity to bring God's word to all of us, including my own soul. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you again for your goodness. Your word is sweet. Your word is powerful. 
your word saves, your word sanctifies, Lord. We are a people, Lord, in need of much grace to hear you ministering to our hearts, Lord. That our coming together may not be in vain. That we have come just because we couldn't do other things. But indeed, may it be a time when, Lord, we feel and experience your presence deep into our own hearts, Lord. Reminding us, teaching us, Lord. Giving us a peace that surpasses all things. Oh, dear Lord, through your Holy Spirit, speak to us even now. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Uh, what's the most important thing for you in this world as you live? Uh, uh, what's so important to you as you live as, as a Christian? Uh, do you think about heaven? Or we challenge ourselves and we think ourselves this way. How much do we think about the Lord in our day-to-day lives? And a desire to honor Jesus in the midst of the work we do, in the midst of the difficulties of this world, how do we think about Jesus? Are we given to Jesus no matter the circumstances we may go through in this world? Does our life, as we live it, does it portray our commitment and love for Jesus? Or are we around Jesus for the sake of he's doing good things for us? You know, he's giving us food. He has woken up today in the morning. Uh, tomorrow he's giving us a job to do. And that's how we live our life. Uh, it's as long as there are things we can identify ourselves with. There are things we can touch. Jesus asked uh, Peter thrice in John 20, Do you love me? And sometimes we read that passage and we feel, Oh, Jesus knew Peter loves him. So why was Jesus asking so much about that? But Jesus was pinning Peter down. Do you have real, life, real love for me? That in the midst of all difficulties, you are going to pass through Peter. You, will you stick around me? And that's the question we want to answer. Are you walking with Jesus faithfully? Where is your heart? Or are you with Jesus because he has made life comfortable for you? So back in our country, people talk about the American dream. And everyone wants to come to America. People are praying and fasting to come to America. So that they may have the American dream. And I always tell them, you know there are people in America also who are praying for the African dream probably. To come to Africa and suffer together with Africans. Do we have people like those here who want to come and suffer with Africans in Africa? Brothers and sisters in the Lord. Where is your heart? Jesus or the world? Let's turn to John chapter 6. And we read... Reminding ourselves, obviously, the story of this passage, we will be uh, gluing John from verse 60 to 71, John 6. But just a preview of what's happening, the very people Jesus is speaking to are the very people he has already fed. More than 5,000 men, Jesus has fed bread and fish. They are, they, are, they are full, their stomachs are well. In verse 15, they want to make Jesus a king by force. Jesus has no choice, but he has to be made a king. 
so that he may continue, for obvious reasons, to give them free food. Uh, this is what's good food, you know, cooked by the Lord. Uh, very nutritious. Who doesn't want it? Uh, Jesus, you must be a king that we may continue to eat in such a manner. And Jesus, perceiving that, we are told, he withdrew and went to the mountain by himself. And later on, Jesus, from verse 16 to 21, Jesus moves on and he, he's, he's alone. We are told when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat and started across the sea of Capernaum. It was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. And when they had rowed about three, four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat and they were frightened. But he said to them, it's I, do not be afraid. In verse 22, these men whom he had fed, they are looking for Jesus. We are told on the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea, that's the crowd he had fed, saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with the disciples, but all that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Why? For bread and fish. They did not go to seek him, to follow him, because they love him, they trust him. They needed more fish to eat. It was such nutritious feet. And some bread. Verse 28, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I said to you, you are seeking me not because you saw the signs, not because you believed after eating, not because you trust in me. You are not seeking me because I am the Lord. Why? He tells them, but because you ate your fill of the loaves, you want me to give you more food. That's all what you want from me. That's nothing else. As you sit there, you can have, because we are all living in Africa and here in America, you can start thinking about that kind of gospel that is given, isn't it? Where Jesus is portrayed as a one who just gives good things and just meets what men want. You don't trust me, they say. Verse 27, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him God the Father set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you, may, that you believe in him whom he sent. Do not work for food. Do not toil only. For food that spoils. Even including your own bodies to feed them. Because one day you are, your temporal, you will die. You should, not, you, should not, you should not be the person. You should not be the center of your life. But, but there's one whom God has sent in this world. The son of God. He's saying, as you work, hey, there's something more greater beyond you and the food and the things you want in this world. Is the food bad? No. We should eat. We should put on clothing. That's fine. By saying there's something more greater than that. In the reality that we will perish and die. One day we will die. With the food we like, with the comfort we, we enjoy, one day you will close your eyes in death. 
And then what? And then what? If he's saying the food perishes, the food we eat, the things we enjoy, we enjoy, they go away, what will be of us if when we close our eyes on death and our life was all about the things of this world? They will not take it lightly. They have asked him, what should we do? You should believe in the one whom God sent. You should believe in Christ. That faith in Christ endures forever. Life in Christ endures forever. In this world, we have Jesus. We depart with Jesus. We will live with Jesus. Jesus does not spoil. 1 Peter 1 reminds us we have an inheritance that spoils not, is not defiled. It's kept for us for eternity. And that is found only in Christ. That's what endures. All other things are temporal. They will fade away. And Jesus is reminding them that. They don't get the point. In verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirsty. Jesus is not talking about water and bread. We all know we eat breakfast. You have had breakfast, isn't it? But you are planning for lunch. Is there anyone here who doesn't plan for lunch? That you have eaten today, you will never eat again. You will die. Okay? So Jesus is saying, I'm the bread of life. Whoever feeds on me will not hunger, will not thirsty. This is not water and bread, but he's talking about eternal life. And now we have this in Luke 16, the rich man and Lazarus. And, and as, as the rich man is in hell on the heads, he tells Abraham, can you send Lazarus just to put a tip of his finger to quench my thirsty it's in, he's in torment. So Jesus, when he says you're not thirsty, he's talking about life in hell. That you'll have life in eternity. Do they get that? They don't get that. They don't get that. We are told in, in verses 43, Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. They're like, you, we can't eat you. You know, they're, they're not understanding. They're blinded. We can't eat you. Who are you to tell us these things? They take offense. Let's turn to our passage. When many disciples heard this, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do not take offense at this. Then what if? He said, then, what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The word that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But, these are some, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. He said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to them, to the twelve, do not go away as well. Do you want to go as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, whom shall, where shall, whom shall we go to? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. 
Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. We are given two people in this particular passage. We have the fake disciple and we have the faithful disciple. Both of them are followers of who? Jesus. But they are both following Jesus for the, wrong, for the right reason and for the wrong reason. And there are those following Jesus to eat, as he has already told them. And there are those who are following Jesus for who Jesus is. And the first thing we are told about the characteristics of the false, the false disciples in verse 60 to 66, they are many, they are not few. That's where you see when many of his disciples heard it, verse 66, after this many of his disciples turned back, they left the Lord Turned back, just like as Paul would say to, to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, uh, Demas turned back. He went back to the world. They recanted the Lord. They recanted their faith in the Lord. They could not walk or follow Jesus again. There are many. And as, and, and as we, have, we have this word in Matthew chapter 7, verse, 14 to 14, verse 13 to 14, where we are reminded many are on the broad road going to hell. In verse 27, in Matthew 7, many will come to me on that day and they will say, Lord, Lord, did we not do miracles and, and, and prophesy? And the Lord will say, I never knew you. And the point is here that truth, disciples, are not about numbers. It's not about the many of the people. Jesus is not saying, I need so many people. That's not the Lord talking about many the Lord is saying to us, he, he desires faithfulness, not numbers. And hence, as you know, there are many today in this country or in our country all over the world who call upon the name of the Lord, but they have no business with Jesus at all. They grumbled after Jesus has taught them, we are told, they grumbled and even took Offense in verse 61, but Jesus knowing, him, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense? Jesus has told them, what is eternal life and how do you get eternal life? They grumble. This is a hard teaching, but they take offense. Why? Because the teaching of the Lord is offense to those who are perishing. As Paul would remind us, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, he says the message of the cross is an offense. To those who are perishing, but the power of God to those who are being saved. The gospel about Jesus is a message that will always offend those who have no interest in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. They are willing to be presented with a Jesus who is willing to do what they want, give them what they want, but not the Jesus who suffered and died for their sins. Not the Jesus who is the greatest treasure and one in whom they find life. Not the Jesus who points out their sin. They don't like that Jesus. They want a Jesus who says, don't worry, live the way you want, I still love you. You know, go lie, go steal, go whatever you want to do. Don't worry, but I love you so much. And that's the message that in many churches they preach. Sin is not mentioned. Sin is not rebuked. They present a Jesus who is saying, it's all okay. It's all okay with you. Don't worry. I know you are weak. 
Don't worry. And Jesus is saying here, such people are not his. Verse 64, they don't believe. They have no faith in Christ. And their lack of faith is characterized by the fact that in verse 66, they walked away and they no longer followed who? Jesus. True faith lasts. True faith perseveres despite the circumstances. True faith in Christ looks to Jesus. It doesn't look to the things of the world. It doesn't look to man. It looks to God. It believes in good and difficult times. True faith hopes always in Christ and his finished work. But they don't have that faith. They are looking for him to give them food. And because Jesus could not give them food, they left him. They left him. They have no business. He's useless to them. If he can't do this, what's the point of following him? What's the point of being a Christian if he can't give me this, all that? And you know the gospel is being propagated as a gospel to make people rich in the country. There are those quarters who do that. Come to Jesus and you'll never be sick. Come to Jesus and you'll have this kind of a car. If you pray, God will give you everything you want. And you ask people, where does the Bible say that? Where is it written, he will give you everything you want? Uh, Romans 8.32, which is misquoted so much, uh, that he will, you know, if he gave you his son, what else will he hold back from you? Uh, now, you take it out of context. If you let the passage speak in the context, Jesus is, the, the Bible is talking about what? Eternal life. God will give us everything we need for our necessity to be faithful to him and enter heaven. That's why Paul goes on and tells us what can separate us from the love of God. It's not what you want. It's what God has done in Christ. He will give it to you so that you make it safe in heaven. Not you live comfortably in this world. They turned away because Jesus did not give them what they want. There are many today who turn away. People can linger around the church and they can pretend to be Christians, can look Christians, but when they don't get what they want, they will get out of the door saying all manner of stuff. That church is not good. They just talk about this Jesus. They don't encourage us how we can do good business. You know, they don't encourage us how we can be this and this. Because Jesus has become nothing to them. That's the false ones. But Jesus knows it. Look at what he says in verse 60, 64. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those who, were, who did not believe. Jesus knows that. You, you can't pretend. You can't cheat God. You are deceiving yourself. You are cheating yourself. God is omnipresent. All-knowing. Even the things you don't know about yourself, God knows them. He has wired you up. He, he sees you in the darkness. Psalms 139, the psalmist says, where shall I hide? If I go in the depth of the, of, of the depth of the earth, you are there. If I fly and go in the... You, you are there. In the depth of the ocean, you are there. You cannot hide from him. 
And he does not look at the outside, your pretense. He doesn't look at pretense. He doesn't look at hypocrisy. What does he see? The heart. You remember when uh, Samuel goes to anoint uh, Jesse's children? And he looks at the firstborn. He's like, oh, this is the guy. Well built. And God says, no. No. Man looks at the outside. God looks at the heart. God knows those who are his. And if you're not among them, doesn't matter how much you pretend. Doesn't matter. He will cut you up. The day is coming when you will stand before him and you will have no excuse. But the faithful disciples in verse 67 to, uh, to 71, we see also five things about them. One, verse 67, they are few, they are not many. And the number is quoted to us and that we are told in verse 67, so Jesus said to the twelve, you know, we are not the many. There are so many even they cannot, their number is, an, is, you know, we can't number it. And then we have the few Christians in their existence. They are not a multitude as we would want or we would think. Revelation 7 tells us it's a multitude, but compared to the world, they are not a multitude. There are also many, Revelation 7 tells us, John tells us, and I saw a multitude. People from all languages, colors, and tribes. But it seems here, compared to those who are false, among us, they are few. And even among them, there are those who are clothed in sheep's clothing, like who? Judas. But also we are told in verse 38, they, Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? they see who Jesus Christ is. He is the Lord. He's the Lord worthy of all honor, glory, and power. He's the Lord we should bow down to. He is their Lord. He is our Lord. He's not just a miracle worker. A guy who just gives you what you want. This is the Lord. And that whatever we receive from him is by mercy and grace. We, we, we are not entitled to anything before the Lord Jesus. He supplies as he wills. And they know it's upon his own mercy they are living. They have hope of eternity because of him. They pledge allegiance to Jesus. And they are saying without Jesus, they are hopeless. They are nothing. They see who he is. He is the Lord. And they see who shall, where shall we go? To whom shall we go? If you depart from the Lord, where else are you going? Without the Lord, you are doomed. There is no hope outside Jesus. Completely. Jesus is our hope. In life and in death, Jesus is our hope. And when that time will come to all of us, when everyone is surrounding your bed and you have to depart this world, only Jesus will make the reason that point, at that time. Only Jesus. And if you have Jesus that moment, you will be the most joyful man. You remember Stephen when he's being stoned. What makes Stephen to say, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. Before that, what happens? Stephen looked up and saw Jesus standing, ready to usher him into the heavens. And Stephen is like, if you were Stephen, you would say, 
I was discussing with someone. Stephen probably is saying, hey, who is hitting me on the head quickly? I need to get out of this world. He has seen the Messiah. He has seen the glory of Jesus. What is keeping him? The pain in that moment is nothing to him. It cannot be compared to how he's seeing the Lord and the glory that awaits him. But without Christ, oh my, you will try to hang on life, but you will not be able because life is taken by the Lord. They knew, they saw Jesus who he is, but also they knew what Jesus offers. Jesus offers eternal life. That's what Paul Peter is saying. You have the words of eternal life. And these words of Jesus are found in the Bible. Every time we read the Bible, we are reading the words of eternal life. Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, you know to whom you have learned these things from, keep them. And he reminds Timothy in verse 14, the scriptures are powerful to make one wise for salvation. Verse 16, he tells him, scripture is God-breathed. Verse 17, it's profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, that the man of God may thoroughly be equipped in every good work. Jesus in John 17, 17, sanctify them for your word is thy truth. Scripture gives us life. That's what Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 23, 25, that we are, we are redeemed we are born again, not by the, the corruptible, but the incorruptible, the enduring, powerful word of God. Scripture is God speaking, and this God's word gives life. How do you respond when God's word is being preached? How do you respond when you are reading the Bible? Are you a student of your Bible? Do you plan to read your Bible? And when you read it, how do you respond? Even those passages that seem to be what? Difficult to us. How do we say, this is not for me, Lord, please. Yeah. Next time, Lord, we'll talk about it. <laughs> but also we see in verse 69, they continued in and with Christ. They are not only few. They are not only knowing Christ who he is. You can know who Christ is, but you don't come to him. They know what Christ offers. They believe in him, verse 69, but also they continue in the faith. And that's what marks out of a Christian. Jesus says in Matthew 7 that for those who will persevere up to the end, they shall inherit the kingdom of, of God. Why does Jesus use the word persevere? Because it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. Paul says to Timothy that all those who want to live a godly life in this life, they will be, they must be persecuted. Now, many Christians, when they hear that, they feel like, ah, Christianity is hard. Let me enjoy. Let me enjoy life. It's a devil's deception. Because this life is temporal. A hundred years is nothing compared to eternity. My question to you is this. What have you valued more in this life. Jesus or the world? What, what is the most valuable thing for you? Are you a false disciple or a faithful disciple? When you think about your faithfulness, do you look at God's word and ask yourself, am I faithful, Lord? Am I a disciple? Don't take it for granted. 
just because you know the Bible, just because you come to church, you sing gospel music, and you feel like I'm, I'm, I'm so always in church, don't take it for granted. Salvation does not come by coming to church. It does not come by listening to gospel music. Salvation comes by faith alone in Christ Jesus. Jesus is everything to us. Where Jesus is, there we shall be if we hold fast to the faith as we journey through this world. Father, we pray this morning, would you do this for us, that our eyes will constantly look to Jesus and not to ourselves. Please, Lord, would you bless this congregation. There will be a people who love Jesus in good and difficult times. Would you knit them together in love, in unity, that they make Jesus their life, their treasure. Lord, guard them from the deception of the world that everything in this world must be ours. Grant them a contentment in the Lord that they will see Jesus enough. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the preaching of God's Word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m., and we look forward to meeting you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God, the good of the city, and the hope of the world. Oh,